just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live on this Monday. We're going to get to it. The book that I got uh, recently, um, it's going on my shelf. Uh, it's a keeper. Uh, and I just get so many books that I can't, I can't do that with all of them. But this one is called A Handbook on the Jewish Roots of the Gospels. Uh, and I'll show you it full screen here. And the editor is Craig A. Evans, uh, and he is a professor down at Houston Baptist University. Why is this important? I have spent my life hearing sermons, uh, reading different things, saying different things, um, you know, in an effort to, to uh, know Scripture better, to know Christ better, to, you know, to be a good Christian in a sense. And the older I get, the more I realize that context is so critical to understanding the Scripture and relating it properly uh, to others, my pastor, my former pastor, Bill Ramsey Jr., uh, would would often say there is only one correct interpretation of Scripture, but there are many applications of Scripture, and and I, and we see that, and sometimes we get it wrong. But I got to tell you, if you get the interpretation wrong, you're just it's it's hard to get to the right place from there. So we want to we want to know Scripture, we want to know it in the proper context, and the reality is, it was a very Jewish book. Uh, and so when we understand the history there and the context there, it just, it, the scripture is just layers and layers and layers. And the deeper we get, the more the richness that we get to experience. So in that spirit, I would like to welcome Dr. Craig Evans. Great to have you on Life Today Live. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Let's let's start with a little bit of the, uh, an overview, I think, of the book so people understand sort of where we're coming from today. Uh, because it's not just the Jewish, we understand the Jewish roots of the Old Testament, obviously, uh, the Israelites and all that. Uh, but the Gospels themselves, uh, I don't know that we all think of as, I think we think of as, as much a broader audience book, uh, much you know, written for the world. Uh, why, do you, why do you focus on the Jewish roots of the Gospels? Well, the, uh, the Gospels are all about Jesus, who proclaims the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is Jewish. His context is Jewish. What he says about the kingdom of God is informed by the book of Isaiah. The only scriptures that Jesus and his disciples had, the only scriptures, the first, the church for about a half a generation, the only scriptures the church had were the Jewish scriptures, the scriptures of Israel. So that you know, it's obvious uh, to them that the context is entirely a Jewish context, and so the uh, the challenge the early church had was to try to translate that uh, that very Jewish oriented understanding of Scripture, the Messiah, the Kingdom of God, what the gospel is all about, to make that clear to Gentiles. But it wasn't to Gentileize, as it were, to de-Judaize, as it were, the, the uh, Gospels, the Gospel story, Jesus, and so on. It was just to make it understandable to these Gentile people. Mm -hmm. And I think in the passage of time, it's almost like it flipped. And so the uh, Jewish dimension of Scripture became a bit marginalized. 
And it's understandable. And so now the vast majority of people who are believers, who are Christians, they're not Jewish. I mean, there's a there's several hundred thousand Jewish believers, uh, and they really do emphasize Hebrew, the Judaic background. And I've preached in Christian synagogues, so to speak, or Messianic synagogues, and it's always a delight to see that. You can really feel the different vibe. And so uh, one of my uh, burdens as a scholar, as a Christian scholar, is to share this, uh, you know, make this Jewish context well known. It doesn't change the gospel, it preserves it, makes it really clear. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this handbook is all about. Uh, we had a previous handbook that was just on the roots of Christian faith, how Jewish they were, and this one specializes on the Gospels. I'm really glad we're talking about it because this is a book, there's nothing threatening in it, nothing really strange or unusual. Uh, it's it's easy to read. It's designed to be read by everybody, laymen, seminary students, and pastors, not just scholars who can read it and understand that and helps. become better acquainted with these essential things. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis says that much we learn is via negativa, right? What, if we don't understand the Jewish roots of the Gospels, uh, are there any examples of maybe some things that have been in the church that we might be familiar with that is a negative result of taking it out of its Jewish context? Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, because it's really easy. If And it's not so much just the Jewish context, it's just the original context and of course, almost always that is a Jewish context because of the nature of Scripture and the early, you know, the very beginnings of the church. But the problem is, if the, there is no awareness of the original context, the ancient context, then it's very, very easy to take what's in our heads that reflects our world right now, 21st century Western world, and run that back into the ancient text. We do it even unconsciously. Mm -hmm. It can be trivial stuff. It can be deep theological stuff. And we simply miss uh, what the text is saying. We might, we might understand some of it, maybe even most of it, but, but we're always vulnerable to missing important aspects of teaching. You know, the aha, I get it kind of stuff because we just don't know really what the ancient writer is talking about. And in most cases, we can find out. And, you know, I think God providentially, you know, when Scripture was written, it was plain and simple for the original hearers. But in the passage of time, languages that change, cultures that change, uh, customs that are now forgotten, it takes some spade work. And and even, even in the first century, Paul has to say to Timothy, study to show yourself as a workman, you know, as a scholar, as an interpreter of Scripture, who won't be embarrassed, won't be ashamed, because he'll get it right. And so that exhortation, if it was true in the first century, it certainly is true now uh, with time and passage of time, change of language, and so on. You know, I ran up against this recently. I'm working on a book. uh, We're talking about this idea of kingdom, which you mentioned a second ago. And I was looking at one of the parables, because I think there are more parables on the kingdom of heaven than anything else. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'd love to know. No, you're right. It's, yeah. Okay. That's right. So uh, one of them is the wheat and the tares, uh, where uh, you know a sower sows the the seed and the the crops come up, but then the workers are like, "Hey, there's there's weeds, there's tares out in your field," and he says and the enemy came and sowed those, 
And I, I kind of had a little bit of a, a misconception going into it. When I kept reading the context, he's, he's quoting one of the Old Testament prophets, Jesus does. And I started going, wait a minute. <laughs> he's talking about the Jews in this. And, and I, I thought, wow, I've, I mean, I've heard this, you know, parable dozens of times in, you know, snippet <laughs> context of sermons, not always misapplied, but never with the, the real context, which was a Jewish context. How much does it change, do you think, the, the, our understanding? The meaning doesn't change. I think it changes to us because we misunderstand it. How much does it change the understanding when we understand just that this is all, it's, it's a Jewish Jesus talking to a Jewish crowd and dealing with the Jewish prophecies and, and all that. It, to me, it, it has the potential to kind of change everything. Oh, absolutely right. Because sometimes uh, we we get we get fixed on a particular place, a particular time, a particular style of dress would be an example of that, and we miss the dynamic. It isn't static. There's a dynamic element. A real good example of that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you understand it in its Jewish context, it just blows, you know, the top of your head off because here the, this Jewish scholar is hearing that the person who fulfilled the law in Moses to love one's neighbor as oneself is a Samaritan. And you might think, well, is this all about, what? what is this about exactly? Is this some kind of anti-Samaritan thing? No, it's not. What he's saying is, uh, it's so easy to lapse into the idea that I and my friends do it right and the strangers don't. Yeah, yeah. And that transcends that time. It has nothing really to do with Samaritans or Jews for that matter. Ultimately, it's about human nature. And so it's real easy for us to love the people we know, family, friends, people who treat us well, and then to treat poorly or ignore their needs, those that we don't know. And that's why that parable is so challenging. But you miss it if you think it all boils down to ethnicity or something like that. And so you get into that, and you understand the parable, what it meant then, and then it's a whole lot easier to apply it well now in our teaching, preaching, and daily life and so forth. Is it is it possible, do you think, that something like the Good Samaritan, which you say is not necessarily about ethnicity, do you think? That, that it is layered enough that Jesus was covering all of those areas at the same time? Or is that a little bit of a, us putting our context into the Scripture? In other words, do you, well, think, do you think it deals with it as well? Oh, I think so, because if, if we were to go back in time, be a fly in the wall, and we're listening to this conversation, a Scripture scholar comes to Jesus. He respects Jesus and wants to know from him probably like a second opinion, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mm -hmm. So he respects Jesus enough to ask him that question. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus asks him, well, okay, what's written in the law? Now, right away, that tells us something. What's written in the law? And some of this modern idea that the Jewish law is irrelevant or the law of Moses has no meaning, or as one popular preacher was saying a few years ago, let's unhitch the church from the Old Testament. Oh, my goodness. Right away, you should know there's something wrong with that. 
And so Jesus asked him, you know, he's asking about eternal life. He's not saying, how do I obey the law better? He says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, what's written in the law? And he says, well, love God with all you are and all you have and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says, bingo, you're right. Yeah. And of course, he, this, and of course, Jesus knows where this is going. This guy gets a little, I could just see his face, you know, frown a little bit. He goes, um, uh, who's my neighbor? I <laughs> <laughs> see that, that, and this would apply to us too. And so, uh, so Jesus then answers his question, not with an allegory about Christology or soteriology. He answers it, his question. And so he talks, he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so you have three men who become for a moment neighbors to the man who's wounded lying on the side of the road, half dead. Mm -hmm. Neighbor is a simple word. It just, as in English, so in Hebrew and Greek, it just means the guy that's near. Yeah, near one. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's all it means. So there's nothing profound, deep, or confusing here. And so he asked the man, okay, who proved to be the neighbor? And he answers correctly. He says, the one uh, who showed mercy. And it's a beautiful story, but you need to know the scriptural backdrop because there's no way the guy can blow Jesus off, say, hey, you know, no Samaritan would ever show that kind of kind of kindness to, to somebody like us, a Jew, because Jesus is alluding to a story from the Old Testament. It's Second Chronicles 28, 8 to 15, where a whole bunch of good Samaritans cared for wounded Judean soldiers bound up their wounds, anointed them with oil, put them on donkeys, took them to Jericho. The average Christian reader doesn't even know that. Huh. That's why the scripture scholar can't say, oh, Jesus, that's too extreme. It's right out of the Bible. <laughs> but why would anyone want to be unhitched from scripture? Oh, the gospel is in the Old Testament. <laughs> and the guy agrees and he says, it's the one who showed mercy. And the beauty of that is he's alluding to another passage in Scripture, in Deuteronomy, that had been applied wrongly against the Samaritan people. Show them no mercy. And I think this man has been converted by Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's agreed with him, and he's repudiated his anti-Samaritan thinking. It's a beautiful story. That's why Jesus then tells him. Go and do likewise. Go and do, oh, my. It's wonderful. Now, see, that can apply to us. Fill in the blanks any way you want. Yeah, you can, it can, you know, there's an ethnicity thing here that transcends the Jewish Samaritan thing. Yeah. It applies to all of us. Can you show love for somebody who belongs to a group of people that you're tempted to ignore yep. or worse, despise? Yeah. You want to do the gospel? Well, there's your challenge. That's just one parable among many. Okay. I I must be your average Christian. I did not know it was tied to, to Second Chronicles like that. No, you didn't. I didn't. And, and see, that's why you study and then you discover that. Yeah. And by the way, with modern Bible search programs and so on, you just punch in Samaritans and, and a couple other keywords, and bingo, the passage comes up. And you read hmm. it and you realize, oh, man. Jesus has taken a story, turned it into a parable, and now the scripture scholar can't walk away. Jesus has written a chapter for our handbook just like that. And the handbook has a bunch of examples like that that says, you think you know it? Well, you got to know, you need to know both the Old Testament and the way it was being interpreted and debated in Jesus's time. Then you really will understand Jesus's teaching in the gospels better. 
All right. Well, I said this one was going on the shelf. It's coming off the shelf and going in my briefcase because that's really good. I mean, that is rich. Uh, and someone asked, uh, would not your neighbor be those who do the will of the Father? And I think, no, the answer would be your neighbor is the one to whom you show mercy to. And in that, you're doing the will of the Father, Thomas. So if, and well, and don't forget, Jesus does answer that question. They say your family, you know, your mother and your father and your brothers want to see you. Remember that? That's Mark 3. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, I'll tell you who my family is. And it's the answer, you know, that your the, the listener just uh, texted you about. Yeah. It's the one who does the will. the will. And so somebody who does God's will, man, your family, you you know, you're a brother to Jesus. And that's what he's teaching. And, and that's a related message. And that's a very good one, too. Yeah. But the neighbor, the commandment that's in Leviticus chapter 19, to love your neighbor yourself, it's it's not only some neighbors nearby people, mm. but not others. Mm. That's not That's not what the gospel is. And, of course, you can relate that if you want to soteriology. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of whom? The world. Just the guys he likes? Mm-hmm. No, also for the guys who put him on the cross. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, that's good. I want to I wanna push a little further on one thing you said because, um, well, side note, it's interesting. <laughs> when Paul wrote that all Scripture, you know, is, is good for, for learning, for reproof, right, they didn't have the New Testament. So he was literally writing about the Old Testament. Uh, so when people want to dismiss the Old Testament, you, you you just read the New Testament. It tells you not to dismiss the Old Testament, basically. That's a good point. Right? Uh, but at the same time, and I think this is where you might get comments like the, the unhitching from the Old Testament, is, is when you talk about the law, uh, because, you know, Christ fulfilled the law. We don't live under the Old Covenant and that's why we don't stone homosexuals and things like that. Uh, and how do you how do you handle that that balance between Old Testament context and richness uh, and and the the legalism that we we don't live? I mean, Jesus broke the law, did he not? I don't think. No, I think. Uh Jesus didn't break the law, but he definitely transgressed the oral interpretation that some okay. had of the law. Okay. But, you know, you appeal, you know, you just noted this, you know, there's some pretty serious uh, commandments in the Old Testament that are capital offenses. And you've mentioned one. There are others. Yeah. And so... Paul talks about how these things are written for our edification. These things, you know, the author of Hebrews, same thing. These stories, these things are written for our edification. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, too, when he talks about that all Scripture has this value for instruction and reproof and so on. Mm -hmm. Well, you sure get a good idea of God's grace when you discover how egregious uh, our sin is and how it so violates God's holiness, and how the whole sacrificial system reiterates that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you, you know, our sins are capital offenses, and yet God is merciful and gracious and forgiving. And in the death of Christ, there is this, you know, there's an atonement that is unequal, that goes beyond. But to appreciate his atoning death, you have the Old Testament sacrificial system. So even though there is law fulfilled, 
or it's no longer to do this or that. It doesn't mean that you can then, oh, okay, well, let's just take the book of Leviticus and throw it out of the Bible and never read it again. Mm -hmm. Because to do that is to lose context. Yeah. It's to lose the history to understand how we went from here to there. And of course, the teaching, love your neighbor yourself, is in Leviticus. Right, right. And so, you know, these are marvelous, um, you know, the revelatory teachings how they get applied now may have changed, but they don't become irrelevant, useless, yeah. and therefore expendable. Yeah, yeah, good, good. I think you've, you've hit a proper balance. All right, I want to show the book again. This is a handbook on the Jewish roots of the Gospels. You can pick it up wherever you pick up books. Uh, you can also go to uh, Dr. Evans' website, craigaevans.com. He's got some other great resources there, by the way. For those of you who want to go beyond... Uh, you know, a surface understanding of, of Scripture. I mean, this is kind of, this is next level, and it's just beautiful because, like you just heard, you start to really understand just, I mean, the Scripture is rich, and the New Testament is rich, and the Old Testament shows you its richness and just gives you, it's it's a maturity that we all need to go. We need to go from the milk, uh, and milk's great when you're a new Christian, but you got to get to the meat, and this is meat, and it's it's really good. I have to ask you about this, Doctor Evans, because when you talk about the Gospels, you got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, and then you've got John, which I I love. Any new Christian, anyone who's trying to read the Bible, I I recommend they start with the Book of John. That's just that's just my my go to. Uh, how do you, when you look at the first three Gospels, and then John, what what stands out to you? Because they are very different. I think John very deliberately goes deep, deep and in more of the personal and spiritual dimension of the Jesus story. And so I think it's far more interpretive, far more theologically sensitive. The synoptic gospels tend to be the you know there these anecdotes these stories jesus said this he did this somebody asked him a question this is how he responded then this happened the disciples were afraid then this and this and on it goes and of course the synoptic gospels are very rich in themselves sure. and uh <clears throat> but john and of course what's debated among scholars i'm not real sure where i stand on this did the author of john know about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, <laughs> or more than that, yeah, he probably knew about them. Did he actually read them? Did he look at them? Did he say, hey, I'm going to tell them a little differently? That's debated among scholars, so I don't know what the answer is to that. But whatever that answer is, John definitely decided to do a deep dive. And so he's not content to have Jesus say something about, you know, he likens himself to a shepherd who's going to be concerned with the sheep. Oh, no, we get John chapter 10. <laughs> I am the good shepherd. This is what the good shepherd does. And, uh, you know, the hireling, man, he he takes off at, at the first sign of trouble. What you don't know now to go back to uh, the handbook and the background <laughs> is this idea of good shepherd, bad shepherd is a hot topic in the Judaism of his day. Interesting. It starts with, you know, Moses says, you know, I, he's, Moses prays, Lord, don't let Israel be like sheep without a shepherd. That's where it starts. So it's in, it's in the books of Moses. But then you get, you get um, Ezekiel who laments that, oh, Israel has been 
led by bad shepherds. Someday God will raise up a good shepherd who will be like David. Oh, wow. That gets it going. (laughs) And then there's a book that's not even in the Bible. It's the book of Enoch, right? right? So it's not canonical. It's what we call a pseudepigraphal text. Yet it's helpful because in two chapters, 89 and 90, I think, uh, it talks about bad shepherds. And oh, and, and it tells the whole story of 200 years leading up to Jesus as poor old Israel led by bad shepherds who flee when the wolves come. Mm-hmm. Then when you get to John and you read that, you know, oh, I get what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. I see now very clearly. And Jesus is saying, I'm that good shepherd mm-hmm. that Moses wanted, that Ezekiel hoped for, that uh, the author of Enoch is talking about. That's me. And when the bad guys come, I deal with them. I don't run away. Mm-hmm. And so that passage mm-hmm. becomes deep. Well, John C. knows that stuff. And so I could go on and on about the vine. He's the true vine. And if you abide in me, you bear fruit. Mm-hmm. He's the word that comes right out of the mouth of God. Why John talks about logos and the whole idea right. of God's wisdom incarnate, living in a tent, not an animal tent as Exodus has the tabernacle, a human tent, human leather. Yeah. Oh, it's rich. Oh, yeah. And John just goes wild with Old Testament themes and deepens our Christology by doing that. Yeah. And, and you know, you're right. You understand the Old Testament context. You really, I mean, the Gospels really jump out at you. And it, I thought I knew, I thought I knew a fair amount until we started talking. So I got some reading to do. You bring up something, though, that I can't let you go without asking about it. I've read the book of Enoch. It's, it, it's kind of weird in places. Uh, and it was not canonized, and there are the you know other books as well. Um, how do we know that our Bible is a complete Bible? That's a good question, and I have students ask that. And you know, because of a certain kind of way out far left scholars in the last fifty years, you get interest in extra canonical gospels, Gospel of Thomas, you know, the Gospel of Philip, you know, and all the rest of that. Students would come to me with that very question. And I said, well, why don't you read those writings? And you let me know. And they always come back and say, oh, boy, the church was smart. (laughs) I'm glad glad they didn't include that stuff. What you need to understand is we have, in a way, a minimalist Bible. And so what the church did was they said, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's okay. It's edified. Nothing wrong with reading uh, the books that we call the Old Testament Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. That the Catholic Church, most of the most of these books, the Catholic Church later canonized. But the feeling was, it's okay. There's nothing wrong to read First and Second Maccabees. Nothing wrong reading Tobit and Judith and so on. But we don't regard them as authoritative scripture that that is foundational for our doctrine, faith, and practice. And that's what the church did. So that's how I answer that. By the way, the Ethiopian Church still kind of has a fondness for the Book of Enoch. It's a very Jew- Jewishness kind of a Jewish denomination uh, of the of Christendom. Uh, the Book of Enoch was highly prized, but in the end, the rabbis, when they they like the Christians, saying, "What's our canon?" And I said, "You know, Enoch, it's got some funny stuff in it," and they left it out. Yeah. They didn't condemn it, but they didn't encourage everybody to read it. Okay. And so there are some writings like that, and I'm glad because I'm glad we didn't get rid of them. They're part of the context. So they may not be inspired, they may not be foundational for our theology, but they sure do help 
and understanding the context so that we can interpret scripture, what people were thinking and saying and what they meant. We understand it better. Yeah, and and I I have read a lot of those Gospel of Thomas as well. I've read you know even some of the outside stuff like uh, Josephus, all of his writings. And you're right, I do find it helpful in the context, but I don't make my life verse out of Maccabees, <laughs> you know, or build a too strong of a theological construct around something from one of those books. Uh, I, I I take a simplistic view, and and tell me if this is too simple, but I kind of think if God went through all the trouble of sending his son and doing it the way that he did it, which had everything, I mean, even setting up history, you know, restoring the temple, the all the things that had to take place for the Messiah to, to appear, and then just the whole thing. It's so complex. Uh, I think that he got to the end of it and, and didn't go, oh, man, but those guys in the early church, they screwed up my Bible. Now I'm stuck with it. I think God's got a little bit more control than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think what it is is that uh, the church rightly recognized these early writings uh, bear witness accurately to what Jesus proclaimed mm. and, and bear witness correctly to how the Old Testament is to be understood as fulfilled and applied. And so they very wisely stuck with this narrower, smaller, uh, early canon without necessarily condemning. Now, some things were condemned because they were perversions distortions of the gospel and uh, anti-Semitic, some mm. of them anti-Old Testament, Gnostic, Docetic kind of stuff that said, you know, we don't need to know any of that stuff. Mm. Or there are two gods, the God of the Old Testament's a bad God. The church rightly condemned that stuff. But a lot of these yeah. other writings you've alluded to, they said, it's okay, if you, you know, you can read them if you want. But the stuff that we read in church that we regard as inspired and foundational for our theology, that's a smaller canon. And I think that was a very a wise move on the part of the church. And so from God's point of view, we have preserved uh, these important memory aids so that we remember this is what Jesus taught. This is what it means. This is how we live. And that ultimately, that's what the canon is all about. Yeah. All right. I feel like we've just scratched the surface here. There's so much more. Uh, but that's why you need to just pick up the book uh, if you really want to get, you know, the full context and the stories, like you heard a couple of them here. Uh, it's a Jew, it's a handbook on the Jewish roots of the Gospels, uh, and boy, this is good. Um, and this this is a great path for anyone that is like, you know, I really want to want to go deeper. I want to know more. But you've got even more. You're working on some things now that are serious serious study guides. Tell tell us a little bit about. Actually, if you wouldn't do a couple things, if you, if you would, I alluded to your website, and I'm, I'll show that here while you're talking. You've got some other ones. I'd like people to know what you have available in addition to this, and then what you're working on for the future. Thank you. Uh, I'll mention it very briefly. There's a 10-volume series that's underway called Ancient Literature for New Testament Study. Ancient Literature for New Testament Study, A-L-N-T-S. Zondervan is the publisher. Uh, volume 9 of the 10 volumes, Volume 9 has come out. Coincidentally, it's on the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha, hmm. very writings we've been talking about. And what, what it does, this series, it'll talk about uh, Apocrypha, uh, Pseudepigrapha, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. Uh, Greco-Roman literature, magic texts from antiquity, 
inscriptions and so on. And the whole idea of it is to do what the handbook is doing in a, in a smaller way. And that's to understand more fully the uh, context in which the New Testament writings were written. And so that's why the title of the series is Ancient Literature for New Testament Study. So it's everything that has survived from antiquity wow. in written form, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin, Syriac, you name it. Wow. That has survived, that has relevance. And the whole point of it is to explain this is how this literature helps us understand the New Testament better. So that's that's something I, I hope your audience, uh, many of, of your audience will find helpful. Volume nine is out, but we have nine more uh, <laughs> volumes to go in the 10 volume series, and it should be finished in the next so, two or three years. Are you, are you saying you did volume nine first? Well, no, actually what we do, and you know, publishers of academic books have learned Scholars operate on their own timetables. <laughs> so we have 10 volumes, and uh, I'm the general editor of the whole thing, but uh, each volume has one or two editors, and they, of course, reach out and rec recruit 20, 30, 40 people to yeah. write chapters. Yeah. Each volume is 500 pages long, <laughs> and it's just a question of the papers get in, they get edited, the volume gets finished. Okay. The one that happened to cross the goal line first Wasn't is volume. Volume nine. Okay, well, I said that because if you tell people there's, that volume nine is out now, they're going to go, oh, I need to go get one through eight. And, oh, that's, that's and, and volume three, which happens to be on the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, it's I about ready to go to the publisher. So okay. it might be out next year. But that's how these things go. Some <laughs> okay. of these multi-volume things can take a decade. But I think ours will only take four or five years, and so all ten volumes will be out. But anyway, it's Zondervan, Ancient literature for new testament studies thanks for asking and then on your website that's yeah uh, anybody can go to my website and current books are always listed yep there's here's a few i can say ancient jewish uh christian scriptures jesus and the manuscripts and i can't read this one is it fabricating jesus yeah fabricating jesus that's intervarsity press came out in 2006 uh still in print and, you know, I still get emails and sometimes personal encounters at conferences from people who say, boy, that sure helped me figure out, you know, decide, uh, you know, what the Gospels really say in this junk science over here, mm -hmm. you know, where people say, oh, you should read the Gospel of Thomas instead, or the real truth is found in something else. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And it's, it's funny because with the Internet, it seems like I started seeing all these weird things about some of those types of things and other things about Jesus. And, and it's just helpful that you have something in a format that average people like me can read and really get grounded and rooted. So great. Uh, last word from you, anything you want to add? This is, I love this kind of stuff because it really, it cuts through a lot of the noise. It gets us back to the foundation uh, and helps us. It gives us understanding uh, from a studying standpoint, and then I, I don't downplay the, the role of the Holy Spirit to help us understand even what we're reading, you know, uh, but this is this is very helpful. We need more, we need deeper Christians, so thank you for that. Anything you want to add before I let you go? Well, you know, uh, if the topic of fabricating Jesus is of interest, but you really want to take it deep, uh, one of the titles you mentioned, Jesus and the Manuscripts, came out just two years ago. Mm -hmm. It's the same publisher as uh, the publisher of the handbook. Jesus the Manuscripts goes really deep 
Jesus not only in the canonical gospel manuscripts, but in all of these other writings too. And so there's a critical assessment of them. A lot of times you get the original Greek and Latin and so forth in scholarly discussion. It's a big hefty book and there's 60 color images in the back of it too. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to go deep and stretch your brain, add a few points to your IQ, that's your book. <laughs> that's good. And pictures always help people like me. So that, that's good. Dr. Craig Evans, thank you so much. I, I just, I think there's a great value in this and it's needed and take, take a little time. I know when you throw the word study out there, a lot of people flinch at it, but when just remember the story of the Samaritan and how you just went, Oh, I didn't know that. That's really cool. That's what you're going to get when you read this book and others from, from Dr. Evans. It's a study, but it's a, it's one that it's exciting and it's enriching and uh, make you smarter. That's always good. So appreciate that. Appreciate you guys watching. Great comments out there, by the way. Uh, if, uh, if you haven't hit like or share or subscribe or follow wherever you're watching, do that now. Uh, and as a reminder, we are expanding on the podcast side of things. Maybe some of you are just listening uh, to the podcast. So you can do that in several places. Again, more of those coming in 2023. A lot of great interviews between now and uh, Christmas, so we invite you to come back. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you again next time on Life Today Live. I want to know what God has to say. I want to know this book. It's the only book he ever wrote. You didn't know the Word of God. You need to know what God's book says. This is God's word, brother. It's the food. It's finished. It's God's word.